We're back. Welcome to a long-awaited next episode of the Wide Open Podcast. I'm your Wide Open Podcast host, Super B. Brian Asif, and we are going to just get right to it. No talking about sponsors, no talking about anything except West Coast Racing. I know uh, we did the last podcast that uh, you guys had from us was, uh, was co-hosted by, uh, by Scott Perkins. We tried to get all fancy with it. And uh, for whatever reason, we, we, we had it on YouTube, and for whatever reason, uh, somebody reported our YouTube channel. It got shut down. So you know what? We're just we're going to kick it straight old school. Tonight, it's just me. I had some things I wanted to talk about. Uh, it's been super busy uh, from the end of 2019 going into 2020, so I apologize for the long delay uh, in what we told you was going to be a podcast on a regular basis. So let's just get straight into it. Let's talk about uh, the end of 2019 and what an awesome race season 2019 was. So I think we, uh, I think when we were at Anza, we spoke a little bit of, or I'm sorry, when we were in Havasu, uh, broadcasting our our last uh, our last one. I can't remember if uh, Anza was after that. I believe it was. Uh, but man, what an epic event! I can't even begin to tell you how amazing that event was. I I raced that race. It was something that was uh, we'd been working on for quite some time. We had an idea about putting on a race uh, down there, trying to work with uh, work with the tribe to see if it was something we could work out. Uh, I went down there, had a meeting with uh, with the tribe, uh, probably a couple of months before I became uh, district president, to see if we could uh, feel it out. If it was something that we thought could happen, they were receptive. Uh, I quickly handed over all the hard work uh, to Jerry Grabo, our DLO, and from that point moving forward, Jerry, uh, uh, he embarked on the painstaking process of, ma- of working through whatever was going to, whatever it would take for us to put on that race. Uh, it, it, the race was amazing. Uh, I, I have to give a big thank you to Chris Deans. Chris Deans went down there and spent a bunch of time uh, laying out all three loops uh, of that race. Uh, and it was it was epic, uh, and also a big shout out to Hundreds MC. Hundreds MC uh, offered to come down, uh, lend a hand. They, they you know they wanted to come see what we were doing. They offered to tie ribbon, do whatever it was going to take, and they came down with a couple of members, uh, checked it out, and they immediately asked that they could uh, take one of the specials and uh, and handle it from start to finish. So. Uh, you know, big thank you to to that club for for really stepping up. We went down there the weekend before the race. Conditions were epic. Uh, there had been some rain leading up to that weekend. It was clear that weekend. It was cool. The dirt was wet. Uh, we spent a bunch of time tying ribbon. Uh, got that thing all set up, and then we were super stoked for the following weekend to go down there and, and ride what it was that we'd been working on for. I mean, it'd been a year and a half in the works. And, you know, as fate would have it, the rain gods decided that the best thing to do was just dump buckets of rain on that thing. Uh, but I got to tell you, I did, it's, it is probably the only race that I've never heard anybody complain about, even with all the rain. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, I, it was just epic. Every, you know, every rider, you know, pretty much all of us riding with our goggles off because it was raining so, so freaking hard through the whole thing. Uh, I I was standing around, uh, you know, between uh, the first set of specials and the second set of specials. We were kind of standing around under an easy up, trying to warm up. Everybody had their helmets off, and it was funny because uh, 
in the one hole in your helmet where your goggles would go, everybody right there had, was all beat up and bleeding because everybody had just chucked their goggles and you were just getting beat in the face by branches and brush and and no one cared. It was absolutely epic. So I want to thank everybody that came down and participated in that race. If you if you race down there, um, consider consider yourselves lucky. I'm not sure if it's something that we're gonna that we're gonna do again. Uh, only time will tell. Uh, but as far as it goes for right now, we'll put that in the books as a success uh, for you know one of the better races that we had in 2019. Uh, then. You know, of course, uh, you know the last uh, the last podcast that we did was at uh, was at Havasu. It was the wrap up of the of the NGPC series, Big Six, uh, hosted by Vikings and Havasu. Love that race. We had a chance to sit down uh, with JCR and all of the riders that ride for JCR, with the exception of Ricky, who wasn't there. We're going to touch on Ricky in in a little bit because uh, his accomplishments are something that can't be overlooked. Uh, so when we sat down and spoke that night, we had a chance to talk to Tara, uh, Preston, and Trevor. And Trevor was on the eve of sealing up uh, his second number one plate in the NG, NGPC series. Uh, we didn't really want to talk about it. I'm one of the superstitious guys that, uh, you know, I don't like to talk about it until it's done. So we just kind of, you know, uh, you know, glossed over the, the season, uh, a, a, an incredible season that he had. We talked to all the riders. And then Trevor went out and did what he had to do the following day and, and wrapped up uh, his second consecutive uh, NGPC number one plate. So congratulations, Trevor Stewart, on a, on a fantastic job. Back-to-back, baby. That's the way you do it. Great job for you. Great job for, for Honda. Johnny, great job uh, with what you're doing with that team. It's amazing. And then... Shortly after that, the news broke that uh, Trevor decided uh, to move on, and he bounced over uh, to Mark Samuel's team uh, with uh, at SLR. Uh, stayed on a Honda. Happy to see that. I I, I ride red. I I you know what's uh, gnarly Dave uh, likes to post all the time. No wing, no prayer. I'm happy to see Trevor hop on a bike that he's familiar with, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. Uh, stand on a red bike, but riding with a riding with a different team. Uh, I'm just stoked that uh, that his race commitment, uh, part of his race commitment, is a full season of NGPC. Uh, that that series right there, in and of itself, I am so excited and so stoked for 2020 to see what's going to happen with that whole that whole series and what's going to happen throughout the course of the year with there being no conflicts between NGPC and Works and what that means for race fans. And I'm a race fan. I, I love to race. But I, but I am a race fan, and I love, 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 love watching all the young kids, a lot of them that we've seen come up as youngsters and then work their way into the pro ranks, come out and just duke it out. And with there being no conflicts, that means that everybody that had to commit to either one series or the other can now race both. And when you saw the line at Atalanta for the pro race, it was clear that everybody came out to see who's who and to let everybody know what's what. And they're laying it down to, to let everybody know at the end of this year, there'll be no mistake about who the fastest guy is. People jumping teams, switching teams, like, I, like we already talked about, Trevor moving from JCR to SLR. Uh, you know, that was a big move. Uh, Blaine Thompson uh, moving from Precision uh, over to Chidester. Uh, had a, I watched him. Uh, I mean, he rode... 
He rode Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I watched him in all of his practice practice runs. And and I got to tell you, my money was on him for that race because I thought he probably looked like one of the fastest guys that was out there. Um, I saw him after the pro race. Uh, told me that he was struggling with the suspension setup, but man, man, did he look fast. I cannot wait to see him at the rest of the rounds. Uh, as we all know, Zach Bell just came out and absolutely laid it down. Uh, it was it was a pretty impressive ride for Zach. Uh, I was really impressed with the ride that Dalton Shirey had. Uh, Dalton spent half that pro race in front of the uh, in front of the other factory Huskies. Great job, Dalton. I mean, phenomenal ride. Uh, Cole Martinez. Uh, some would say he's some would say he's a surprise. I don't really think he's a surprise. If you look what it is that Mark has done with helping Supercross guys transition into off road, it's it's phenomenal. If, I mean, if you uh, go back a few years, Zach started his off road career riding for Mark on a Honda, and now we have now we've got uh, Cole Martinez doing the same thing and having some pretty impressive results. Uh, the factory Husky guys were there. And man, did they look good! It was they were super fast. So that there's a ton of fast guys. Uh, let's not you know forget about Justin Seeds. I mean, in 2019, he was the king of Atalanta. So I mean, he's right there. Lots and lots of fast guys. Okay, and that's just in the in the big bike class. You look at the 250 class. The 250 class is absolutely stacked. You look at the guys that are racing pro two pro two. They call it in works. We call it the. Uh, whatever it is, uh, lightweight, lightweight pro. Sorry, Scott, I'm not up on on what we're calling all of it. I just like to watch all the guys. Jeremy Lin defending his number one plate. You know, he, in 2019, he was the national champion uh, for NG NGPC. Uh, came out there and just absolutely laid it down, and he put in another solid performance. Super, super, super stoked to see Jacob Alvarez back out racing. Jacob Alvarez has got a support ride racing for Precision on a Cowie. Had a really solid ride. Another kid that's grown up in District 37 and has worked his way up to a, another support ride is Clayton Roberts riding for Jadester. Another, you know, put in a solid, solid ride. So there are a ton of dudes out there that are that are just a lot of fun to watch. A lot of district kids that I just, like it, like I said earlier, that I've seen you know, racing all the way up through our youth program. I mean, shoot, we're talking about Dalton. Dalton ran in the top three, top four for that pro race. I remember watching Dalton being, you know, racing our youth series in the desert, just being this big, tall, gangly kid riding on an 85 when he was way too big for an 85, just smoking all the kids out there. And he has worked his way all the way up to a, to a pro ride. Another, another kid, you know, who's worked his way from that series into a pro ride, Chance Fullerton, out there riding the factory beta, had a super solid ride. You know, it was just awesome to watch him. So any any one of these races, any one of the eight eight district NGPC or the additional two that make up the national series, on any given any given day of those races, it's anybody's race. Those guys are just all that fast. Okay, so Let's take a step back and let's talk about the the, the average Joes that are out there racing. It, it one of the we were we were planning on doing a podcast at Atlanta, and like I said, uh, we for whatever reason uh, our YouTube channel was suspended. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why, and I don't really care to be honest with you. It is what it is. Uh, but we were going to sit down and have a conversation with Robert Bear. So for those of you that don't know who Robert Bear is, Robert Bear is a DMC member. He is the, the son of one of the founding members of DMC. 
and he races in the MAG class, so he's 50. So that tells you how long he's been racing if his father was one of the founding members of one of the legendary desert clubs. And Robert has always been fast. And, but I gotta tell you, he did something that no one else has done, and he did it in 2019, and that is earn six number one plates in one year. Yes, I said six number one plates. I'm probably going to screw up the number one plates that he got, but I'm going to try and re recite them. So he races a 250, so he earned M1X in the desert. He earned the number one 250 plate in Big Six. He earned the number one 250 plate in NGPC, which is the national plate. He earned the number one plate as a 40-year-old in NGPC. He earned the number one plate in Sprint Enduro. He earned the number one plate in NGPC 40-year-old national. Does that add up to six? I'm probably missing one of the plates. It doesn't even matter if it's five or six. I know he earned six and I'm forgetting one of them. But what I'm talking about is the, the guy is a machine, just an absolute machine. And you, and you would be hard-pressed to find a nicer guy. In baseball, they have this term that uh, when they talk about baseball players – that uh, they play the game the right way. And I don't know how, how I can find the right words to say it for racing. Okay, but Robert just plays the game the right way. Okay, he's he's a phenomenal dude. And I gotta tell you a story when he's you know, when he's trying to wrap up that plate at Havasu. I was uh, you know, myself chasing uh, you know, for 2019, it was the last year that that uh, Grand Prix paid desert points. Uh, I didn't race as much as I wanted to throughout the course of the year. Uh, I find that, uh, that all of the other things that I have going on with district and club and, and then life have really been getting in the way of me racing as much as I would like to, like to. But towards the end of the year, I realized that if I hunkered down and, and charged after a few races, I could finish, uh, you know, with a higher single digit, you know, that I, that I had previously anticipated. So, I did that in a couple of races and I got to Atlanta and I had, to, or I'm sorry, I got to Havasu and I had to finish in a particular spot. And so I, you know, charged as much as I needed to, found myself uh, right where I wanted to be. Uh, and I'm riding along and, and I battle with a couple of guys in my class. One of them is, uh, is Don Urbanek from, uh, from Invaders. And so we're riding along. I don't remember how many laps we had. I assumed that we had a couple more laps. I could see Urbanac right there. I was in a comfortable spot. I figured I had another lap to uh, another lap to to reel him in, and he, I didn't need to to pass him to get the position that I wanted for the end of the year. But it would have been, you know, it would have given me some, you know, a buffer right there. So I, you know, we're I'm getting close to the finish. We're approaching the finish, and I think and I can see him, and I think that we've got another lap. And and I get past like I'm standing still by a guy on a 250, and it's Robert. Okay, he's lapping me. And I realize, holy shit, I'm getting lapped right now. And I'm trying to keep up with him so I like there's any hope of me ever getting back around him. And and I almost get knocked over by Paul Krause, who's chasing Robert uh, because he doesn't want Robert to beat him. And the, and the race is over. So Robert starts on a line behind all the heavyweight bikes, and he managed to, you know, to he managed to overall that race from the second line and lap uh, the better part of the heavyweight expert line. 
that just tells you what he did in just in that particular race. He's just a phenomenal rider, great guy, so I just I thought it was worth some recognition. Robert, congratulations. Fantastic season. So 2019, we had lots of changes. Uh, we had the addition of some new series. The Sprint Enduro Series was one of them. Um, we had a lot of talk in 2019 about a new series that we were going to start in 2020, which was a District 37 Hare and Hound Series. So let's just roll right into 2020. 2020 kicked off with the first race of the year being the first race of the of the brand new District 37 Hare and Hound Series, and it was hosted by Checkers. Uh, it was in the Red Mountain area, and it was uh, about 90% on new land uh, that had been opened up to us uh, through, you know, through some hard work uh, done on the done on the back end by by all of our our legal team and Jerry was working behind the scenes on all of that. In any event, we got a lot of land back uh, that we haven't been able to ride on for quite some time. And Checkers made the most of the land that was available to them out there and laid out what, by all accounts and from all of the all the feedback that I got, was was a phenomenal hare and hound. It was what riders are looking for in hare and hounds, and and I can say that because I saw the numbers. Unfortunately, I was sick, so I couldn't go to that race, and I, I can't tell you how bummed I was to not make that race, but I was getting a feedback from, from people that were at the race while the race was happening. It was one of the larger numbers that we've had at a desert race in quite some time, if you combine the youth that they had on Saturday and then the adult entries that they had on Sunday. And it told me that there might be the possibility of people being interested in racing in the desert. All the conversations that we've had about what's going on with desert racing and how come people aren't going, I think we tapped into something with that four-race four Hare & Hound series. And that was confirmed by the amount of people that showed up at DMC. So Checkers just paved the road for that, for that whole Hare & Hound series. And, and the numbers of Checkers, I haven't seen that many people at a, at a desert race in quite some time. DMC, great job. Checkers, great job. You know, they have they have set the stage for the final two rounds of that series with four races on February 23rd and the last round hosted by SoCal uh, on April 19th. Uh, that those races are are bitching. I I've I, I'm seeing Grand Prix riders going going to race that series. I'm seeing people I haven't seen race, and I can't tell you how long show up at that series. I saw John Johnson at the DMC race, and I haven't seen John Johnson at a race in quite some time. And he told me that he heard about this and he'd been seeing it on social media, and he had to come and see for himself what this thing was all about. And he came out, had a blast. I, you know, And just like everybody did, I, I know the feedback that I got from DMC was that the race was a, a little harder than what the checkers race was. I had people tell, saying, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, there was a lot of cross grain and there were a lot of whoops, and you know, and loop two was you know pretty difficult." And 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 I have this to say about that. Okay, first off, it's a it's a desert race. Okay, it's a desert race, and I've raced DMC races for years and years and years, and I rode this one. Okay, and yes, this race was challenging. Okay, but when I got done with the race, you know what I did to my bike today? I washed it, and I changed the oil, and I'm ready to go race again. You know what I did last year after the DMC race? I replaced the pipe, and I replaced pegs, and the plastic was all beat up. So 
in terms of what DMC races have historically been and what this one was, I would say that it fell in line with what we said we were going to give you with those Heron Hounds. It was a little more difficult than the Checkers race was, and it was probably more difficult than what you're going to ride at four races in SoCal. I've ridden, I've ridden the second loop of SoCal, and I know that the DMC race was more difficult than SoCal. But DMC is what, you know, DMC, well, it's part of the District 37 Heron Hound series. It also is a national Heron Hound. So they kind of serve two masters with that race. So they have to please both the national rider and the D and the District 37 rider. And while I understand that some riders may have been, you know, been upset that it was a little more difficult than what they rode at Checkers, I would hope that you, that, you know, a day removed from the race, you can take a step back and and realize, take a look at it and realize that DMC truly made an effort to try and 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 make that race conform to both of the organizations that they are affiliated with. Um, that that bike, or I'm sorry, that race was completely doable for almost all skill levels. And, and that's, that's the way I look at it. Now, maybe I'm looking at it through the, through the wrong eyes, but I, I honestly feel that uh, I, I can tell that DMC put in a tremendous amount of effort to make sure that the district rider would be happy with what it was that they did. And so I would hope that the district riders that rode that race could take a step back and see that, um, that DMC made, really made an effort to, to make sure that you would be happy with the race when you went to go race it. So uh, and I hope that every district rider that went to go race that can look at the checkers race that they rode and the DMC race that they rode and realize what it is that that series, that four race series is trying to do and go out in, you know, in the same numbers that showed up at DMC and then go race four races in SoCal and enjoy the hell out of the hard work that those two clubs are putting in to try and get the district riders to come back to desert racing, to come back to Heron Hounds. And that was the, the ultimate goal of that series was to try and get district riders interested in racing Heron Hounds again. And based on what I've seen in the first two races, I think we've tapped into something. So if you race those first two races, you're halfway to finishing that series. If you're leading in the points, you're halfway to that jacket. Um, that I, I have the jacket. I wore it. Uh, I wore a mock-up of the jacket. Uh, in the podcast that we had, uh, the podcast that we that we televised on YouTube at uh, at Havasu, I will bring that jacket to four races so you can see what it is that you're racing for. And at SoCal, we will be handing out the we will be handing out those jackets at the end of that race. So I'm telling you, exciting things happening within District 37. So uh, in the while we're talking about changes. Let's talk about one of the more controversial changes that, uh, that we've made, and that's to the awards ceremony. Okay, so I'm going to say it right from the very beginning. If you hate this idea, the person to blame is me and me alone. It was my idea, and so if you hate it, yeah, you feel free to beat me up on social media, send me nasty emails, you can shoot me a text. Uh, tell me that uh, you think I'm a complete jerk for changing what it is we normally do. But let me explain why we, why we did what we did. First off, let me explain what we're doing, and then let, then let me explain why we did what we did. So, the change in the awards ceremony. 
Traditionally, what we do with the awards ceremony, it's not a ceremony, it's a banquet. And we call it a banquet, but it's not really a banquet because we don't really feed anybody. You show up there uh, and you pay for drinks. There's no food. Uh, we host it in a hall, or it has been hosted in a hall in years past. Hang on one second. I'm taking a sip of my cocktail. Some years it's been in the high desert. Some years it's been down the hill. And what it generally is, is a, it's a big to-do uh, where people show up and you can uh, be recognized for the couple of seconds that it takes for your steward to say your name. Uh, and some, most, some people are there and some people aren't. And we stand around and wait for the people that are there to walk up. And then we stand around a little longer for the people that don't show up. Uh, we hand you a trophy, and then uh, you get your picture taken with all the people that earned the trophy with you, and then that's that. And then we move on to the next class, and then you get to sit there uh, through everybody else getting an award. And if you haven't gotten your award yet, you get to sit there waiting for everybody to get their award until you get your award. And for years and years, I've you know since I've been uh, you know participating uh, in a leadership role in district. I've been standing up there looking out into the crowd, uh, looking at uh, the absolutely bored faces of anybody who wasn't receiving an award at that particular moment, just uh, counting the seconds until they get their award. So I got this idea that maybe we'd, we would try something different for a year. So what we're doing uh, for the 2019 awards that will be handed out February 15th, 2020, is we are doing a an awards ceremony slash ride day. We have rented Glen Helen, and gates open at seven o'clock. It's and we will have two courses laid out. You'll have a GP course, and then we'll have a, kind of a sprint enduro type course laid out. And starting at eight o'clock, you can go ride, and you can ride all day long if that's what you want to do. Okay, ten bucks gets you in the gate. When you go through the gate and pay your 10 bucks, you will receive a meal coupon. We will have some of our food vendors that, uh, that follow the different series that we have will be there. You hand in that coupon at any time during the day, and you're going to get a meal. Uh, it may not be the only meal that you eat, but that'll be the only meal that you get for free. And then we have scheduled times where each different discipline uh, that happens within District 37, Desert, Sprint Enduro, Grand Prix, and Youth, will go into the museum that they have at, uh, at Glen Helen and you will receive your awards. I believe that the first awards are for, uh, don't quote me, it's posted on social media, but I believe what we talked about was uh, at uh, 10 o'clock, we would have uh, youth awards. At 11.30, we would have Sprint Enduro awards. At one o'clock, uh, we would have uh, Desert and Cal Scrambles awards. And at three o'clock, we would have Grand Prix awards. So you, and, and again, I could be wrong with the times. Uh, I'll po I will post it to my, to the Wide Open Podcast uh, Instagram. It's already out on all of our other social media. Scott got it out every place. I think it's posted in six different places right now. But the thought was, is that if you're not a GP guy and you came to get a desert trophy, you don't have to sit through the GP awards. And if you're a GP guy, uh, you don't have to sit through all the other awards. And and what we've learned is that most GP guys don't even show up to the awards banquet because they don't want to sit through all the other disciplines of awards. So they don't even show up. So then the steward is saddled with having to, 
you know, lug off all of these trophies and then try and get all the trophies to the, to the individual riders uh, at some point during the course of the year. So you can show up and you can ride all day. If you decide that, hey, you know what, hey, I'm supposed to get an award at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or whenever, and I, but I'm just having too much fun riding, hey, you know what, your trophy's going to be in the, in the museum right there. So roll in there whenever you want and go grab your trophy if you don't want to go in there and wait to have your name called and go and receive your award. Um, after we're done handing out all the awards, we'll shut down all the riding and we'll hand out uh, the awards for sportsmen and some other awards and we'll recognize uh, all of the people that do all the hard work to make this possible for you guys to race. And then that'll be that. And then you can stay the night. That $10 gets you in the gate. It gets you riding all day long. It pays. You can camp that night if you want to. And the following day is an SRA race. And for those of you that haven't raced SRA races, uh, their SRA GP has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. And it's a, it's a great organization. They put on fun races. A lot of district riders race SRA races. So there's an SRA race on Sunday. You can stay the night and go race on Sunday. Maybe you're, maybe you're new to that and you're not familiar with it. Hey, you know what? Camp, hang out and go race. The, the beauty of this whole thing, what I was hoping would happen is that you've got GP folks and then you've got desert folks. And their paths do not ever cross. And if they do, they're crossing in a, in a race environment. This is not a race environment. This is just a ride and have fun environment. So we're going to have desert folks. We're going to have enduro folks. We're going to have Grand Prix folks all out there riding and having a good time. And share, as Gnarly Dave loves to say, sharing the stoke. We're sharing the stoke of racing. And what, what the beauty of District 37 is, what we have that no one else has, the family vibe, the, I mean, the family that is District 37, whether you race in the desert or whether you race Grand Prix, we're all one big happy family. And we're all going to be in one place at one time enjoying each other and just having a good time. And listen, this is not just, this ride day is not just for people who are receiving an award for the year. If you're a District 37 member, this ride day is for you. You roll up, you show your district card, that's that's how you get, get in for 10 bucks, and you ride all day long. You're not getting a trophy, so what? Show up, take advantage of it, spend 10 bucks, and ride all day long at Glen Helen. And maybe you'll see what this whole uh, you know awards thing is about, and maybe it'll inspire you to want to race a few more races so that you can earn one of those awards. Because, listen, I've, I've earned a couple myself, uh, I, and, and it means something. It's a big deal. So... Like I said, I hope that it's something that you enjoy. We're trying something new. If the overwhelming response is, Brian, this is the lamest thing that we've ever seen. I don't ever want to do this again. Then, of course, we will change it, switch it back and do what we have always done in the past. But if it's something that you enjoy, then maybe we'll keep doing it or maybe we'll add to it. Who knows? What I do know is that the, everything that we've done within District 37 in the past couple of years was some crazy idea that somebody had that they thought might bring in more riders, might get people more interested to race in District 37. And some of the things have worked and some of the things haven't. What I do know is that I'm seeing riders interested in what's happening in District 37. And I'm not hearing any more people saying that desert racing is dying. And I was challenged when I became president to do something different, to make a difference. I was told that no one knew outside of District 37 what District 37 was, what District 37 racing was. 
And I can tell you now, without a, without a doubt, that people across the country and around the world know what District 37 is. They come here just to race what it is that we have going on in District 37. So if you're a member of a club that hosts a race, congratulations because you are part of something great. If you are a racer that races in District 37, know that you are racing where everybody else wants to race. If they look at if they find out that you race District 37, they you have what's happening here has elevated you to elite status as a racer because you race in the best place in the world for racing. And you know why I can say that? Because we have a rider that came from District 37, that grew up in District 37, that went on to accomplish something that no other American has ever done. And you know who I'm talking about. That's Ricky Brabeck. Ricky Brabeck won the Dakar Rally. He is the first American ever in the history of Dakar to win that race. And he did it riding a Honda, the first time ever that a Japanese bike or a Honda has ever won that race. Ricky is an absolute superstar. And if you saw him today, he would stop and talk to you as long as you wanted to talk to him. He is a, as approachable as I am or any other normal person. And that's what we breed right here in District 37. And Ricky is a role model for all of the young kids that are coming up and racing. That is the goal. That's where they all want to get. And every single one of those riders, every single rider that I talked about earlier today that are, that's racing in the NGPC, they are all approachable pros who are humble, know where they came from, are never too busy to stop and talk to some Yahoo like me, a young kid racing in the U-Series is trying to work his way up. That is the beauty of District 37. That's what you are a part of. If you're listening to this podcast and you hold a District 37 card, you are one of the people that makes this the great thing that it is. It's not just one person or two people. It's all of us. We are all collectively what makes this thing great. I cannot preach about it enough. I, can't be pr- I couldn't be prouder of it. And I hope that if you're listening to this and you're holding a district card and you're racing district races, that you know that you are part of the, gr- the greatest thing that's happening in racing. This, this is a grassroots movement. This is a, a groundswell of off-road West Coast racing. And it's starting right here. And you, listening to this podcast right now, are part of it. You're making this happen. So from bottom of my heart, I thank you for everything that you're doing. By coming to these races, you make this possible for everybody else. So let's talk quickly about some things that we got coming up. So one of the things that we had that was really successful last year was the Sprint Enduro Series. I heard so many people talk about it. we saw other race series mimic what it was that we were doing. There are other race series across the country that are kind of keeping an eye on what we're doing. Factories are looking to see what it is that is happening with the Sprint Enduro Series. We've tapped into something that they think is the direction that riders want to go. Short, fast races, not too technically difficult. Don't, you know, we're we're trying to we're trying to kind of change a little bit what it is that we do with those races. You know, we we said last year when we were doing those races that it was a work in progress. We, we we had no idea what we were doing. We just had a, we kind of figured out 
or, or kind of thought that we might have an idea of something that riders would want to race, but we had no idea what the courses should look like, how long they should be, how many loops we should have, the level of difficulty. And so we just took huge swings at it from round to round, trying to figure out what it was that would, you know, that the riders liked the best. And then we asked for a ton of feedback after every race. Some races people really liked, some, some races they didn't like so much. And so we've taken all of that and tried to apply that to what we're doing with the series in 2020. The series is continuing. Um, we've had some clubs leave that were part of the series uh, the, you know, in 2019. We've had other clubs join. So we have the same amount of races that we did as we did before, um, just hosted by, by some different clubs and in some different areas. Uh, this, this year, the kickoff of the series is hosted by Prospectors uh, on March 15th. It's going to be in, uh, in the Red Mountain area. Uh, most of you who, who race, uh, prospectors races that isn't their Grand Prix know that, uh, in years past they have hosted, uh, uh, for years and years, they have hosted a, a hair scramble at Gorman. Um, they decided that, uh, that it was, uh, uh, more economically feasible for them to move to the desert to host their to host their race as opposed to having it at Gorman, and they wanted to join the Sprint Enduro Series and host that type of event. So, for any of you that are that might be new to district or relatively new to district, you may only know Prospectors as a club that hosts, you know, that hair scramble. Or if you're a GP guy, you may just think that they're a Grand Prix club. What some people might not know is that uh, traditionally Prospectors was an Enduro club. I mean, a traditional timekeeping Enduro. It was one of the first races that I raced uh, in District 37, and it was probably the hardest 100 miles that I've ever ridden in my life. And I loved it. I was hooked after that. So Prospectors is no, uh, is, they're not new to doing Enduros. And they're not new to that area because that area is is typically where they would have their, have their Enduros. So they're going to, they're laying out, uh, they're working on a Sprint Enduro, uh, like I said, on March 15th. I think it's going to be amazing. I can't wait for the kickoff of the Sprint Enduro Series. And then the following weekend, relatively in the same area, Lost Code is going to come back, and they're going to do the same race that they did last year, another ISDE qualifier. If you raced that race last year, you know that uh, when we talked about all the races that were held in the Sprint Enduro Series, it was one of the most well-regarded races of that entire series. Uh, Eric Jones does a fantastic job with that race. He seems to really know what it is that the riders want to ride he's got the perfect level of difficulty increasing from each one of the loops uh for the three and they you know they generally do three specials with that race i i tell you that that i'm i can guarantee you that that race is going to be epic so you're going to get your you're going to get your beak wet with two sprint enduros back to back prospectors march 15th los Cody's march 21st and 22nd because it's a isd qualifier so the 22nd will be the district 37 points paying day uh, but if you're trying to qualify uh, for ISDE, you you would ride 21st and 22nd. Uh, you'll have to impound your bike if you attempted to do it last year. You know the routine. Um, if you have any questions or you're or you're curious about it, go to the website amadistrict37.org. Scroll down to Sprint Enduro. Uh, actually, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you will start seeing flyers pop up for the upcoming races. Click on the Sprint Enduro or click on the Lost Coyotes flyer. 
and it will give you all the information that you need and it will give you contact information for anybody you need to reach out to and talk to if you have any further questions uh, that, that aren't answered on the flyer. What else aren't we talking about? Uh, so in addition to the races that I've talked about so far, you know, tonight on the podcast, the Heron Hound series and the Sprint Enduro series, as you can kind of see uh, the, di- the direction that we have been going for the past year or so is for clubs pairing up or grouping up to try and host uh, a series of races. Uh, you know, the Heron Hound series, you've got, uh, you know, NGPC is a series of races. You've got the Sprint Enduro is a series of races. And so what else do we have happening in District 37? We have, uh, we have scrambles and Euro scrambles. Well, those clubs are also talking about trying to find a way that they can put together uh, some type of series. Here's the thought behind the, the series is that when you look at our calendar, one of, the, one of the beauties of District 37 is that we're not a promoter. Okay, District 37, by definition, is a collect, it, by definition is two things. Okay, number one, District 37 is a geographical area as, as predetermined by AMA. So the, the District 37, AMA District 37 spans from San Diego uh, north to up around uh, San Jose and, and into those areas. It kind of jogs around. And that basically means that any race that's held in that area, it would be sanctioned by a District 37 club. Okay, because District 37 is made up by the District 37 clubs. So it's a geographical area, and it's the clubs. So I think we have 18 active clubs right now that are hosting events, and we have 30-plus races a year hosted by those different clubs between Grand Prix, Sprint Enduros, and and different types of desert races, whether they're Heron Hounds, Hair Scrambles, or Euro Scrambles. So... We have a, there are a significant amount of clubs that prefer to host the Euro Scrambles. For those of you that are new to the podcast or new to desert racing, a Euro Scramble is basically a, the the way you could best describe it as a Grand Prix in the desert. It is a short course, anywhere between nine and 12 miles, typically. Uh, I think the rule book says it's between eight and 15, somewhere in that, in that, uh, in that neighborhood in terms of mileage and it's and the it, you ride the same loop over and over for an hour so that's that's where it gets the grand prix feel it's a lot easier for clubs to man so smaller clubs prefer to host those because you know it's a small course that you're running over and over again so it doesn't require the same type of manpower as say an 80 mile uh, desert race where you have to have club members spread out over the over the course of 80 miles a hare and hound is a true 80 miles from start to finish uh, a desert scramble would be 80 miles, but it would be a 40-mile loop that you would ride twice. In any event, those races, the longer desert races, require more manpower. So we were so rudely interrupted by Mr. Ryan Abatoy calling to ask some questions, and it cut off the podcast. The beauty of recording this podcast with an iPhone. So you pretty much heard everything that I had to say. Uh, it's uh, Friday morning, getting ready to leave for Taft. We're going to do another podcast from Taft and tell you all about that fantastic race. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the races.